Hey everybody, Josh Sheridan here with the Barely Legal Podcast. Hey, Today's show, I have Jason Bangos. I have known Mr. Bangos for the better part of 20 years. He haunts the hallways pretty regularly of the Pinellas County Courthouse, whether the one on 49th Street, the one on Court Street, or the one in downtown St. Pete. Every once in a while, he'll make it over the bridge to Tampa, and I'll, I'll get to see him. He is a uh, colorful person. He is an avid uh, University of Florida fan. He brought his guitar today. I don't know if I'm going to play with him because he's probably better than I am, and I don't want to embarrass myself. But um, he's just an all-around good person, good-natured, earnest guy, good attorney, uh, fights for his clients. And uh, I, I haven't, I have never met a person who doesn't like Banga. So um, thank you for coming over today. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. It's closer good to, to the mic. It's good to see you. It's nice to be out um, amongst friends uh, in this world of Corona. Things have gotten different, and uh, it's it's good to be here today. So thanks now, for having me. Now I don't think I realized that you and uh, uh, Phil Wartenberg were classmates from way back in the day. Phil Wartenberg, who another amazing human being and someone that I've never met a person who doesn't like Phil Wartenberg. Phil is a guy that I've known. He went to Palm Harbor. He grew up in Palm Harbor. I grew up in Tarpon. I've been here since 78, transplant from Detroit. And Phil, I met him when we got to middle school. And there was a brief period of time where Tarpon and Palm Harbor both shared the same middle school while they were still building Palm Harbor Middle. And that's where I met Phil initially. But we spent a lot of time together through the years. Uh, so that goes back to what? That must have been sixth grade. So that's 19, I don't know, 82, 81. Did you guys go to law school 81. together? Uh, we went to college at the University of Florida together at the same time. He stayed on and went to law school there. I went to law school down at St. Thomas in Miami. Florida wanted me to sit on a wait list for two years. I felt like at that point in time, if I took two years off, because they wanted me to go and get business experience and work in the business market, I felt if I took two years off at that point in time, I would not go back to school. So I went to St. Thomas. I'm glad I did. We have some great people. People uh, from St. Thomas that are lawyers in, in our area. Judge Dora Caminos is an alumnus, alumna from St. Thomas, as far as that goes. Chris Ballard, myself. Uh, there, there's quite a few, but there's a couple of the, a couple of the all stars. So uh, a lot to talk about there. I, I want to talk about. Did you and Wartenberg hang out with each other in college? Or? In college, Phil and I hung out. He was a Phi Delta Theta. Even have you held him? Have you d held him in a cake stand or you know thrown? him over a balcony or uh, any good stories there that you're willing to? A couple of things as far as that goes. So he was in the fraternity system. I, I was also in the fraternity system. When I got to the University of Florida, my plan was specifically not to join a fraternity. I wanted to befriend somebody in a fraternity. And I initially got involved with my fraternity, Talk Cap Epsilon, the Teaks, because of intramurals, because uh, I wanted to play intramurals. I played on the, the dorm team and it was very competitive. Intramural what? Football. Okay. Football, you know, so it's like, you know, and again, that's before I had my growth spurt. So I was still probably, you know, five, You weren't the, nine, uh, you know, the you know, uh, frightening figure yeah. that you are today. The frightening six foot. For those piece. of you that don't know, Jason is seven foot two, 320 pounds, all muscle, not an ounce of fat on him. He's just a haunting figure. So. <laughs> In any event, um, so intramural football. So and and so Phil was a Phi Delta Theta. So when I, we were going through the process, I mean, the idea was we go to Rush Week and we go check out some of the fraternities. 
And I don't think that he had any leanings to go into a fraternity beforehand, but he had, he had landed there along with a couple of other people from Tarpon, Dennis Allen, who's a dentist up in Tarpon. And then there was Don Casina. Um, so there were some people from, from Tarpon that ended up there. So I would see Phil pretty regular. He'd come, come to the fraternity house and would hang out from time to time. So we've kept in touch through the years. And then when I landed back in the area, cause I was down in Miami and I thought that I'd stay down there. And it just came to the point where one, Spanish is not my first language, although I speak better Spanish than I speak Greek. I'm a Greek American and I'm not necessarily happy that I speak more Spanish than Greek, but it's the reality of living in Miami for five years. And uh, when I came back home, I really been connecting with him a lot more because, you know, you figure I've been practicing here now 20 years. And during all that 20 years, Phil's been practicing here too. Although my family law practices, you know, that's more of a later uh, evolution of your career back, back when you could be singularly a criminal defense attorney, that was pretty much what your focus was, wasn't it? Back before, there's when a, I was a prosecutor over in Pinellas, I don't know if you, were you doing family law back then. Back then, I was not because okay. when I first started, I came up. I was working for John McGuire McGuire Law Offices, sure. and, I, and I worked there for years, the, almost three years. And you know, after my mom died in 2002, it really gave me perspective on a lot of things and just things that I really wanted to accomplish in life. When you have Big losses in your life, whether it's a disappointment, whether it's a loss of a family member, whether it's a job you didn't get or something sad that, that, that went unchecked and you didn't get the chance to make it right. Whatever that thing is that haunts us, you know, you didn't have the opportunity to make it right. And uh, can you repeat my question, please? When did you start doing family law primarily? So family law. So when I was a court reporter, please read back the transcript. (laughs) So when McGuire, when I was at McGuire, it was segmented and there was another attorney that handled the family law. So I would cover stuff from time to time uh, for that person as far as that goes and learn family law. And what I learned more than anything else back then was that there's a lot of emotions. It's, it's, it's a lot of extra care and maintenance for clients that you have to deal with. And that's okay. But it is a, it, it's a time-consuming process. So for a long time, I segmented my practice and I sent that stuff out. Mm-hmm. And then in 2008, when we had the you know, market crash the and great, everybody had the yeah. public defender across the street yeah. who they could have for free, the, the criminal uh, gross receipts took a, a big nosedive. Exactly. So then you were confronted with this option. You could either decide to... Shut down your practice, which was not an option. You could decide to go work for the for the uh, a machine, the, the court, the, the court appointed attorneys, which there's nothing wrong with that at all. I don't begrudge anybody that does that. You like but, to call that the three eight five zero bar grievance. But the, therein <laughs> therein lies the issue because the, the thing is, you're trying to provide a service for a client. You're trying to provide happiness and satisfaction, and it's difficult when those things don't mesh because they're expecting something that that goes to Johnny Cochran's not going to bring back from the grave. Right. You know, so in 2008, I said that I had to start dealing family law because I previously said when I got out of law school that there were two areas of practice that I did not want to practice. Would you like to guess what two areas those no were? No one who practices <laughs> law likes to or wants to practice family law. It's a, it's a, You've, you've got to have a, a special kind of self-hatred and a, a, a high heft threshold for pain to do family law. So, But because of that's the case, there's always work in it. 
Correct. It's a high conflict area. And then billable hours is probably the other one, which family well, law also occupies that field as well. Well, for me, the other one actually, ironically, was criminal. And so when I first got to McGuire, I got pigeonholed in the criminal. And then when I got pigeonholed there, I found out not only that I really liked it, but I was good at it. Yeah. You know, and so it's funny how life, when you make proclamations to the universe, the universe has a twisted, ironic sense of humor. Well, and say, so when you stare into the well, be careful because it might stare back or something. <laughs> exactly. Like the, yeah. Or or that maybe at the bottom of that well that they're actually taking a photograph yeah. and they're saving it for posterity yeah, to yeah. come back and haunt you with your own Just rub your nose in words it. to the universe. So but the thing is, I think that, that we are tested with these things and it gives us the opportunity to kind of check ourselves and, and become better people. And yeah. so I feel that that even though I was reluctant to embrace family law because of all the things that come with it, which have come with it, which are the things that haunt me, as far as that goes, text messaging is one of those things that that I could get into, but I won't right this second. Um, but it's just that under the circumstances uh, now, you really have to kind of have this mentality. A lot of people are suffering and a lot of people are going through a lot of things. And to be able to provide those services in addition to criminal defense services is something that's really helped me to help more clients out. Yeah, there is a lot of kind of uh, parody or kind of, uh, you know, an overlap of need there with criminal and family law clients. Oftentimes with my family law caseload, there's a there's an arrest for domestic violence or that sort of thing. And then conversely with criminal, you know, someone gets in trouble. A lot of times that kind of incites a family law issue now that goes along with it. Um, so uh, definitely kind of they scratch each other's back. There's a couple things that I want to make sure that we touch on trying to set an outline here. Number sure. one is Detroit. Yes. Number two is Greece. Okay. Number three is your uh, venture into the world of marathons and okay. that sort of thing. And then we can talk about whatever else. So sure. Let's start with uh, Detroit. Uh, only child. No, uh, oldest of four, uh, born uh, September 11th, 1970, years before they took down the towers. It was my birthday. Okay. Also notable, September 11th, 1985. Pete Rose should be inject inducted into the okay. Hall of Fame for, for breaking that. So never forget where you were when Jason Bangos was uh, born. Um, so 70, that makes you about five years older than I am. That makes you getting real close to 50, if if not already. September what? September 11th. So knocking on 50 here within the course of a few more of a few more weeks. Oh, big plans? Uh, no real big plans. This is Corona time. Yeah, so, you're going to cook um, out in the backyard. Big, big plans are maybe I'll pick up some to-go food yeah, yeah, um, yeah. instead of cooking it. And yeah. that will be exciting. All right. Know? So you said the oldest of four? I'm the oldest of four. My, my brother. What, what's the makeup of the other three? Uh, my brother, Kevin, he's uh, 19 months younger than me. He's running my dad's business. My dad passed, as you know, a couple years ago up in uh, Holiday. Uh, my sister, what Kristen. What business is that? Uh, it's John's Towing and Christy Auto Works right there at 19 and alternate 19. Why don't you have an enormous PI practice? Uh, because my PI practice, I send all of my PI work to John Delacosta and David Neville, oh, who are great aff affiliated with I've me known and, them forever. and friends. And uh, yeah, I was introduced to them by uh, Jesse Berkowitz. And yes. Great guys. I always appreciate his dash cam videos. And, and Jesse's great if you have bank bankruptcies. That's where I, I right. tend to send that. Plus, story. Jesse and I are constantly have a sub chat going on every time you comment on one of our pages about what is Bango's thinking. So every time, <laughs> just know, anytime you comment on Jesse or I, we're texting each other about you. Okay. Anyway, I, hopefully good things. All good things. Okay, all good, good things. Good. Um, 
So, but with the towing, I mean, yes, that, that, that's helpful. Um, any event. Uh, so then you're two, two sisters. sisters. So Kristen, who is five years younger than me. And so she lives up in Tarpon with her husband, Eric, who they were. She's a Greek person living in Tarpon Springs. Uh, she is a half Greek person living in Tarpon novel, Springs, novel living, concept. going, to, her kids go to the same elementary school that we went to. I opted out of the same childhood scenario for my for my son um, but as far as that goes uh, she's married to her high school sweetheart they reconnected years later and my other sister lisa works uh, she's a hr supervisor for a major corporation up in north carolina so she's the one who got out of the state she's the one who got out of the state because her husband who's also from here has family that moved up to north carolina so coming from Detroit, are you a Iggy Pop fan? Are you a Ted Nugent fan? Are you an MC5 fan? Are you Well, a- as far as that goes, as most of the music that I like from Detroit, first of all, would be Motown. Well, I love I love my Motown yeah, first sure. and foremost. Secondly, would probably be Actually, Eminem, you know, Um, it's like I like a a lot of stuff all across the spectrum. I like Ted Nugent's guitar. Uh Uh, He's a great guitar player. He's an excellent (laughs) guitar player. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure what you're getting at specifying (laughs) what it is that he's impressive for. (laughs) I'm saying that there's some things he's not impressive for. Yeah, other things that he's a little bit of a kook on, but but his guitar playing is amazing. Uh, What about Iggy? Were you ever a Stooges guy? Uh, I was Iggy Pop to a certain degree, not not my favorite you know i was more iggy pop through roxy music you okay. know as far as with Brian right. ferry right sure um as far as that goes but the solo solo iggy pop not as much like i said my rock and roll canopy and it's interesting because i was having this conversation with myself the other day about your musical taste and jesse berkowitz's musical taste and i thought that mine was maybe kind of the bridge between the two on some level you know because he's very alternative in some levels and you are a he's little bit very, more he's very rash, maybe. Well, I, 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 we, I think I occupy different areas, but he's very Anglophile in his music, you know, Stone Roses, the Smiths, Oasis, you know, he right. kind of goes, and, and a lot of that comes from his sister, Joan, who right. you know very sure. well. Um, he was lucky enough to have Joan as his on, you know, entry point into music. And so she being, I'm not going to say how much older she is than us, but uh, she went through high school at a certain time when those bands were pretty big. And I think they uh, were introduced to Jesse. And so when the three of us worked together, that was all we did or talked about. Uh, but I've always had a metal punk kind of dalliance through skateboarding and just kind of where I grew up in the time that I grew up. So I can kind of run, run the gamut there, but I'm a huge Iggy pop Stooges fan. Uh, obviously the MC five are one of the, I think first American punk bands that there were. Uh, and then obviously I love Ted Nugent's, uh, guitar playing as well. Yes. <laughs> if not his politics <laughs> and his, uh, views on hunting, but in any event, um, so that was Detroit. And how old were you when you came down here? I was seven and three quarters. Okay. So old enough uh, to yeah. know what was going on, old enough to remember the Detroit days. Uh, but if not, just, you know. Old, you, old enough to remember the blizzard of 77 and how much that sucked and how much I was not upset about leaving the snow. Um, you know, and, and 77 was also the year, I think it was the last year it snowed in Florida, but we were still living in Michigan at the time. It may have snowed one other time since then, but the blizzard of 77 was memorable and it was horrible and 
we were glad to move to a warmer place. So Dina and I, months before, September 11th is just going to keep coming up in this conversation. Months before September 11th, Dina and I, in uh, the summer, I think it was between our second and third year of law school, decided to go to Greece. And so we flew into uh, Athens, and then we took the longest car ride of my life from Athens to, I think it was Thessaloniki, and then from Thessaloniki, we jumped on a hovercraft and we went to, I think it was Skopelos. And then while we were staying in Skopelos, you could take little boats to uh, Santorini or Fira, as they call it, the Skiatha, all the little islands around there. And we fell in love with Greece. We fell in love with, uh, what's the uh, yogurt dish? The Tzatziki. Tzatziki. The food, the you, any restaurant you go to has the best tomatoes ever. The best, you know, just we ate ourselves into oblivion. Uh, we experienced our first and only earthquake while we were over there. Um, it was amazing. Have you been to Greece? I have never been to Greece. You've never been to Greece. I'm, I'm first generation uh, Greek American. My dad was born, ironically enough, in Thessaloniki, which mm-hmm. you just referenced. I don't know if you knew that or not. I um, did not know that. Um, which Thessaloniki, it's in the northern uh, Mycenaean area of Greece, uh, up in the Peloponnese, as far as that goes. Uh, under the circumstances, uh, I've not been there. I, I also have a minor in classical studies from the University of Florida, and there's so many of places that I want to go see. Thessaloniki and Athens are at the top of that list, and there's so many other places. I'm Greek, and also my wife is half Greek, which makes our son completely half Greek. You, you said know. you speak better Spanish than Greek. Do you speak any Greek? I could swear like a champion in okay, Greek. Okay, well, then, then that's know? 90% of it. Yeah. yeah, and separately from that, you know, Greek, uh, you know, it's a lot of talking with your hands, so I can do that. And uh, I know basic conversational Greek, you know. Well, so my wife has this ability to look like whatever culture we're visiting pretty much. So if we go to, she's Italian, obviously, and, and Spanish. So obviously she's a shoe in there, but everybody in Greece thought she was Greek. Plus her name, Dina is a quite a popular name in, in, in Greece. So, uh, everybody just, well, apart aside from, she's a beautiful woman, very friendly, very intelligent, fun, but they loved her. They hated me. Like, <laughs> that was my experience over there. It was also the end of George Bush's presidency. And right. to hear uh, people from other countries talk about him at that time right. was uh, quite interesting. Um, but I had the it was such an amazing trip, such a beautiful trip. I love the, the Greek people. The only thing that I didn't care for about it was you cannot flush your toilet paper over there. And that's you can just meditate on how how that can kind of impact your day wow yeah there's a lot of a lot of interesting uh, workings there but uh food was great just beautiful land beautiful people beautiful language it's just so highly highly recommend it's on my list for sure um all right so we've checked off detroit we checked off greece um you know we could talk about our practice i mean would, would it be a fair statement that primarily you're in pinellas county I mean, I'll go, look, I guess I have to say before Corona and after Corona, you know, I mean, so before Corona, my policy was I'll get in my car and go anywhere in the state. Right. I, I still think that's my policy. Uh-huh. I still think it, it might be my policy more because I might be able to travel more and Zoom more. Yeah. I don't mind getting in the car and traveling. That being said, I've been practicing 20 years. Uh-huh. In the past four months, I've been in a courthouse zero times. Yeah. I've been by Zoom or by phone 
for the past four months. I've been in court every single week yeah. since Corona started, but I have yet to go back into a courthouse right? because they're trying to keep people out unless they need to be there as far as that goes. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's sustainable long term, especially in criminal, because they're just not having criminal trials now, which at some point it's like. You know, the ice in your cup when you're drinking your drink and all of a sudden all the ice just rushes right Right. towards your face. At a certain point, they either are going to need to start null processing cases or they're going to need to start trying them. And I think there's a a ripple that has not yet been felt in that regard. However, I'm loving appearing uh, virtually for pre-trials, for case management conferences, for mediations. Uh, I have uh, I had a trial this week in front of Judge Newton. Um, that was uh, a virtual, which was interesting. I have a trial next week in front of Judge Pollock, which is virtual. That one's going to be very evidence intensive. So that one I'm a little bit not looking forward to from that perspective. But anything that's not evidentiary that doesn't require testimony or putting exhibits in, I'm all about going virtual. Is that kind of your feeling on it? You know, it's funny because we were told in corporate America for years that, well, we can't we can't have you work from home because we need you to pay for this big building. And so people would have to come to work to go there and work at this big building. But now... Since people have had to evolve their businesses to the point that they can adapt, we found out you very well can work from home and it is possible. It is doable. I like it a lot. There's a lot of good things about it because the idea of getting in your car, driving an hour or 45 minutes or an hour and a half to go sit there and wait for an hour to appear for 25 minutes in front of a judge to then get back in your car and do it. It, it doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm happy to do it. I enjoy that part of it. But from a sustainability standpoint, long term, I, I, I don't know how you put the technology genie back in the bottle now that it's been uncorked because there are some things about it that are really great. There are some limitations. Well, to make a distinction, working from home and being virtual, I conceive as two different things. I absolutely cannot work from home because my son wants me to go in the pool. My daughter wants me to watch her dance. My wife wants me to get this, that, and the other. I cannot do anything from home. It's an impossibility for me. So I come to the office and appear virtually in court. So that's that's the difference for me. I'm all about appearing virtually. Working from home, personally, I can't do because there's just not a safe space of that household for me to get anything done. I would tend to concur with that completely. The idea of working from home, first of all, there is, can I work from home? And then there is, should I work from home? Should I work from home is probably not anyway, because then there's no separation. It's it's the the Jerry Seinfeld, worlds colliding Jerry situation. Well, for sure. And and so this is an, so this is why I feel bad for my wife is there is no reprieve, you know, And, and that's, that's something that she has had to contend with. And I, and I, you know, I, it's a hard thing and I, I'm not going to talk about your wife or your kid, but I'm just going to talk about, you know, the experience of being a father where, uh, your, your significant other maybe stay at home. Uh, we're coming to the office every day and it's hard work. I mean, we're dealing with life and death with our clients and people are, you know, such and such isn't hasn't brought the kid for a timesharing exchange or such and such hasn't paid their child support, or I don't know if I'm going to get arrested. And so it's triage. We're putting out fires all day at work. It's by no means easy, but we're getting eight or nine hours away from home every day. 
And so while it's not easier, we are getting somewhat of a break, whereas at least in my situation, my wife is not. So she doesn't have somewhere that she can go, you know, and so there's a difficulty there. And with COVID, it's even more interesting because of, you know, they're having to do virtual schooling and all these other types of things. So it's definitely I've seen it rear its ugly head in family law. It's creating a lot of acrimony between spouses. And I've seen family law ramp up. I don't know if that's been your experience. I could see that it's building. It's like that bubble that you talked about a few seconds ago. I mean, it's definitely building up because the tensions are building up. And I think more than anything else, it's routines. Routines have been interrupted. You know, income routines have been interrupted. Work routines have been interrupted. TV routines have been interrupted. Whatever the routine is, playing, sports, all the normal things that we used to do, the routine has been changed. And that creates stress. Well, and so this was a, a kind of a post that I got into this morning. Dave Veenstra posted something, and it's something I've considered. But Veenstra, yeah, I, did did they just announce no college football for this year? Well, what they announced yesterday in the evening was that the the NCAA said that there are going to be no championships awarded. So this is how they tried to ward off the SEC's plan with the ACC to go ahead and play. Uh-huh. That if you play, it's not going to count for anything. Yeah. By the way. It will count because the SEC champion is almost always the national football champion. Not always, but almost, almost always. always. No offense, Clemson. You know, I uh-huh. mean, and Jay Bear. You know, so under the circumstances, you know, that's that's what we're dealing with. I get Jay over here. You know, I don't know if if it's going to happen uh, at some point. It's interesting because I keep talking about Corona with clients and everything else. They're like, Corona this, Corona that. It's like they canceled the March Madness. They canceled Super Bowls. They canceled things that have major revenue sponsors. But people still haven't gotten the proper perspective about where we're at. Right. Well, the thing that's interesting about it to me is, is uh, so I know shit about football. I don't know anything about it. And it's always funny because of my size, people expect me to know a ton about it. So they'll start talking to me about this person or that person. And I just nod and smile. I have no idea what they're talking about. But it's always funny to me because college football and fantasy football is six months on Facebook where everybody's talking about shit that I have no idea about. <laughs> and so the prospect of this year not having those as diversions for people, for better or for worse, I'm interested in what impact that's going to have on family law because I've had uh, – sisters-in-law, cousins say, I'm not going to see him now for these six months. Every Saturday, he's going to be with his friends watching this or watching this on TV. Uh, this Sunday, they're drafting their their fantasy football team. You know, like Literally, for these months, the weekends are gone. And so now, maybe the weekends aren't gone. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to be better or worse for marriages. And I guess it can it can manifest in different ways. I think it's going to shake the tree. You yeah. know, you're going to find out who's there for better or for worse and who's yeah. there for better. Yeah. You know, I yeah. mean, yeah. that's the reality of the it. The prospect of more projects getting done around the home, uh, you know, is going to be interesting. Are they going to get done or are they not going to get done? Or is there something else that's going to fill that spot in people's lives? I'm interested to see. Exactly. And there's only so many home projects you can do at some point, too. This you is know, true. Before this- that becomes... Possibly feeling like I'm garbage different. with home projects. I'm, 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 I can, I can do yard work. I can paint stuff. If you need me to secure something to a wall properly, 
just holes everywhere and none of them are worth a damn. I, I either can't find the stud or I do find the stud and I can't anchor it properly in the stud. I am drywall's worst enemy. It's just, uh, there's no way See, around it. I look at the stud thing as more of a recommendation. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's ideal. Get it if you can. It's not really can. necessary. Right. Like, what are you hanging exactly? Right. Right. Well, you know? we had this shelf in our, uh, in my wife's office that she had probably about, 4,000 pounds of ballet books on and okay. just out of the blue the other day, it just blew out of the wall. That is and funny. not only that, it didn't leave little holes. It took out like, oh, yeah. like yeah. fist size holes of the yeah. drywall. It was pretty, and I didn't even hang that. Someone else did, but anyway, I, I digress. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about uh, is this. I, my dad was 38 years old when he had me. And as much as I love my father, as amazing as my father was, he, the fact that he was significantly older than most of the other dads of the kids that I grew up with always resonated with me. I thought that maybe if I had a younger father, he would be more involved in sports or these other things. And so I always in my mind said, I'm going to have kids much younger than my father. I don't want to be an older father. I want to be a younger father so that I have the energy to chase him around in the yard and do all this other stuff. Do you know how old I was when I had my first child? Uh, you were probably about 33, 38, exactly 38. the same age as my father okay. when he had me. And so now that my daughter is going into first grade and my son is about to start pre-K, uh, we go to all these meetings and we meet all these other dads and, and, and not across the board, but generally I'm the oldest father in the room and I have zero fucking energy at the end of the day to chase them around. So talking about these proclamations that we make and how they manifest in our lives, uh, I ended up being the old father. Now, I don't know exactly how old you were when you had your son, but you were at least 38. I was 42. Right. So has that, how is that? uh, Don't talk about your kid, but but from your perspective, you know, how have you found being an older father? It's interesting because I looked at this idea First of all, I looked at David Letterman. I, I watched a lot of Letterman back oh, in the God, day. Oh, I love Letterman. And, and, you know, my my wit comes from a variety of different places. Letterman certainly, you know, influenced it as far as that goes. But Letterman, uh, he was 58 when he had uh, Hen- Henry? Henry. Henry, right? Okay. Yeah, my son's Hen- my- Okay. My son's middle name is Henry. So anyway, go ahead. So, but at any rate, so I said, okay, so that that's okay. I could still be older and have, have a child, whatever else. So- I didn't get married till I was 38. Okay. And so I had thought in my mind, I had made peace with, I'm not going to have kids, whatever else. It's okay. Um, you know, cause I was about Florida was winning national championships. We're winning championships in football and basketball and baseball and pick a sport except for women's basketball. And we got one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, at least one. So that being said, uh, when I got married, I reconnected with my, with my wife through Facebook. We had, you know, grown up together, whatever else. And, uh, and so, we weren't really expecting to have kids either, you mm-hmm. know, and it just, and then it just kind of happened. And I was 42. I'm like, okay. So right around that time, probably just prior to that, I had started to try to kind of wind back the mileage on the hard miles I put my body through. Cause I lost my mom in 2002 and I lost a, a very close classmate, Mike McGee uh, to cancer. And that really, again, was another one of those introspection points. And it got me thinking, I tried to start focusing on, on, you know, health, and things like that. And, well, so that, that's going to get know. us to the whole marathon running at some point, which I want to right. talk about. But 
Um, so, but have you found that you've been able to maintain the energy level as a father? I mean, are you, are you out there doing all that stuff or, you know, it's funny because the, the marathon thing really kind of kickstarted my metabolism again. Uh, uh, and although I don't run marathons anymore, right this second, uh, probably not at all. Maybe, I don't know. Because of COVID or because of you? Uh, because it was taking away too much time from the family. Okay. Marathon running itself is, it's like seven hours away. Some people train and stuff like that. Are you still running? Uh, I don't really run that much. I get five miles in minimum per day just from steps and whatever else, okay. just from walking around. Yeah. But as far as your idea about did, how do I stay active? I stay active because my son is seven. Uh -huh. He's going into second grade. Uh -huh. He's wonderful. He's my pride and joy. Um, but the thing is, is that he is go, 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 go. Yeah, yeah. So when Corona came, not only was I running my legal practice, I also was platooning with my wife as the teacher. So I was handling physical education education, language arts, uh, and geography and mathematics, you know, and, and social studies, you know, so, but that being said, uh, I try to stay active just by keeping up with him, you know, and, right. and, and he's, he's got a motor that never stops, you know, you know, the deal. I've always had this idea that I should be a runner and at various points in my life, I've tried it. I've never stuck with it long term, but I, it appeals to my, hermit recluse uh you know it's funny as 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 vocal as i am on social media and on this podcast as a person in life i like to be alone i don't like to be around people i you know the only time i'll be around people is if i go to concerts which i love but generally given the opportunity it's being by myself and not talking to anybody so from that perspective running seems like it would appeal to me it also apart and aside from the the physical health uh, effects. I think it's probably great for anxiety, for stress, for those sorts of things. But uh, I've just never been able to uh, stick with it for long periods of time. And I, I have this dream of being able to do it, but I, I just getting over the hill. I mean, right now I'm not in the worst shape of my life, but but close. Um, so there's that initial hump of getting your body conditioned to be able to do it, you know, routinely, because right. in the beginning, it just kind of sucks. Once you kind of get to that point, you can do it. Then it's just ma maintaining it and challenging yourself and finding ways to keep it interesting for you. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping at some point in my life I can get into it again. But, I, you know, had a lot of false starts with it. It's pretty exciting, um, you know. I didn't consider myself necessarily as a runner, yet when I grew up playing sports, I played primarily uh, – I played soccer and I played baseball. And I played all over the, the pitch on the soccer field. But as far as that goes, I primarily played midfield. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize at the time exactly how much you run during the course oh of a soccer game. It's, it's insane. So – and it wasn't until I started running like actively that I really started thinking about why am I able to do this? Yeah. And it's – I thought back it had to have been from the hours of running in the extreme Florida heat as a youth putting miles on my on my legs and not really realizing it. And I started running – just to try to do it because it was faster than walking places. Are you still a soccer fan these days? I still like soccer. Who you are know, your teams. I like clubs. Bar I like Barcelona, as uh, Ray Lopez knows. Bar I, that's that's my favorite team as far as uh, the pros go. I don't really 
follow Major League Soccer too much, I guess probably the Galaxy or maybe Miami. But, sure. you know, I mean, I like the Rowdies back in the day. I like the Rowdies now. I don't know what's up with the Rowdies now. Are the Rowdies still playing? Do they- I don't know. I mean, I yeah. remember when it was still going there – MLS was looking at potentially making them a team, but I guess that fell through. And yeah. you know, I just don't even know what's going on. And, with it. and the owner, Bill, uh, what's his name? I think he's got his mansion up for sale. So I, I don't oh, know what's going that's, on. That's there. not a good sign. You know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's definitely odd. I mean, I've been watching a little bit of soccer on on, on the TV where they pipe in the sound of the crowd, and they, you know, <laughs> that's weird. And then baseball, you know, they've I, I've been enjoying who's getting cutouts behind home base. There was a uh, Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's that was back there. <laughs> uh, Cl- uh, Cliff Burton from Metallica's father, who was a big <laughs> San Francisco staple, was behind the plate at at, at the Giant Stadium. And then uh, is it Joe Kelly? Who's the guy for the? Was it what was that? whole thing that just happened where he was like throwing at the batters and he got eight game suspension is that joe kelly did you see what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about this was uh, was it the uh who had the bench clearing yeah well it was funny because they suspended him for eight games and didn't suspend anybody in the astros for the cheating yeah. which is why he was pissed off and throwing at him right so it was kind of an interesting scenario in, in in any event so usually my knowledge of sports is when something crazy happens like that although I was just entrenched with The Last Dance. Did you watch that documentary? Love The Last Dance. That was a time when I was really in NBA yeah. and basketball. And and I remember all of those guys. And it brought back such great memories of the Jazz and the Pistons and the Magic and their battles with the Bulls and then all the stuff about the Bulls. It was that, that was like a time warp for me, bringing me back to that period in my life. And I, not to mention, I think that documentary should be shown in every business school, every leadership uh, seminar or whatever. There's just so much amazing psychology and sociology going on in, in that apart and aside from just the sports and the, and the, and the, you know, memory of, of those championships. I just, I love that. I think it's interesting too, because in not being from Chicago, my first team that I identify with as far as basketball, NBA is clearly the Chicago Bulls. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? I, I got my Chicago Bulls mask the other day, actually in the mail. Cause I just wanted, I, I have some Gator ones, some Grateful Dead ones, yeah. whatever else. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a different sort of thing. And I think what it did for me more than anything else is I have this ongoing feud with, with LeBron James. James, as far as that goes, it's not really a feud because he's not really involved, but under the circumstances that I think that a lot of the younger generation didn't know and understand the greatness of Jordan. So I think that that exposed a younger generation to that. And I think that they also now know Jordan's better than LeBron. Well, LeBron has how many championships? Not as many, and he'll yeah. never have the percentage that, that Jordan got. He yeah. was six for six in the finals. And not to mention the <clears throat> the... So there, before I had children, I got really into mixed martial arts. I was doing tons of uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, tons of kickboxing, and I followed the UFC avidly. And there was a lot of stuff in training that was happening there, which has kind of filtered its way through now into, into sports, uh, whether it's oxygen depletion in your training or movement specific training. You know, uh, I, I, you know, when you look at players back in that day, you know, or earlier, their training was they'd go to the gym and do whatever. But now, like, 
the training, the, the movement specific training, the nutrition, things that they're doing with oxygen depletion and all, you know, all these, uh, if you listen to Joe Rogan, uh, he gets a lot into the nuances of where training has gotten. And I really think that with professional sports, they're able to really specifically train athletes better for the sport that they play than happened 10, 20, 30 years ago. So I look at what kind of training Jordan had versus what LeBron might have. And I think it's just completely different. Um, I don't know if you have an opinion. Yeah, on that. It, it's interesting because I do, because I think the two companies that Michael Jordan transcended through were Nike and Gatorade. Right. And through both of those companies, he, he evolved their shoe technology Constantly, when he'd have his new Air Jordans that would come out, everybody would go and buy him. Right. So he changed the he changed the complete dynamics of the sneaker game. Right. Separately from that, he completely changed the dynamics of of the sports beverage market. Right. The sports beverage market, Gatorade. If you were wondering, yes, University it was from the University of Florida. It could have been a University of Tennessee thing, but they didn't want it. So Robert K came to University of Florida, and we had Gatorade. It's funny because Bobby Bowden couldn't handle being doused with a Gatorade bath. So he complained about it. And that's the reason why Coca-Cola thought about entering the market and starting Powerade. That and also it became a huge marketplace as far as consumer products. Go. Right. But I so my my nephew uh, who pitched for Vanderbilt and two of their college World Series who uh, pitched for the Cardinals and their farm team. Uh, I mean, I got to witness firsthand what he went through. And I mean, you see these kids now. When I was a kid and you were a kid, Little League Baseball was maybe what? A Thursday night game and a Saturday morning game or something like that. And then maybe two or three practices a week. I think we had a couple practices a week and two games a week. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Now it's five leagues at once, travel ball, local ball, you know, all stars, da, 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 da. And these kids are getting multiples of hundreds of times more pitches on their arm by the time they're making it to college, by the time they're making it to the pros. And I'm sure there's a lot of similarities in football and basketball because there's just so much more opportunity to play than there was for us as a kid. So there's, as a parent or as a child, you have to be very concerned about the wear and tear that you're putting on your body, your body, because there just wasn't the opportunity to do that as much. Uh, the pads are better. You know, you look at football with what is it, CTE or what is the the concussion thing? Yes. So I think there's a, I mean, the helmets that we had were miserable. They were like trash cans with foam rubber shot in them or cock. They were awful. They hurt. But now you've got airbags and panels that kind of break away and do all this other stuff. So obviously with that, there's improvement there. But like with my uh, my nephew, what one of the things that I saw him do is they went to this camp where if you ever watch the Marvel movies and you see the production on how they do green screens and these actors put on these full body suits where they have like ping pong balls all over them. Yes. And they're they're monitoring the movement of the hips and the knees and the ankles and the feet. Well, they're doing that with pitchers now where they're they're able to say within, you know, very minute, but you know, micro meters or whatever, whatever the measure, I'm horrible with the metric system or whatever, but they can say you're dropping your shoulder by a half an inch here and you really should come up a little bit higher or your delivery is, is a little bit off. You should do this. And I know that that's something that's happening in these other sports. And I just don't think that was to get way off topic, but bring it back around to the point that I'm making. I don't think what LeBron has at his disposal today, Jordan did, you know, back in the, the late 80s or early 90s. So that in and of itself makes it a different game, I think. Yeah. And I think, look, let's be, a, let's call a spade a spade. 
LeBron James, I think, is probably a better all-around player as far as his skill sets go. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a better teammate. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's a better leader. I think he's trying to lead socially in other ways off the court, and I commend him for those efforts as far as that goes. You know, but as far as on the court, he also has had the benefit of of basically playing with all stars wherever he's been. You know, Jordan didn't have that. Mm -hmm. Scottie Pippen became an all star. Mm -hmm. Horace Grant became an all star. You know, the guys are around him were mostly you know role players that, that elevated their game john paxson was not a household game until he hit that big shot yeah yeah yeah, you know? yeah yeah um so anyways that's sports uh so we've got two different ways that we can kind of bookend this show we can do both either or neither um where where are you at on talking politics I'll talk politics. All right. So I have seen you kind of uh, occupy a, a somewhat of a moderate position on social media. Would you say that's a fair statement? I still think I qualify as a moderate position on okay. social media, but my far right folks may not necessarily agree with that. Yeah, I got into a pretty good argument with one of your <laughs> friends on Facebook one I think time. Almost everybody can say that. Yeah, where, where we were, we were uh, started messaging each other about which parking lot we were going to meet in and throw down. Um, <laughs> Um, but uh, in any event, uh, what are your views on November? What do you, do, you, do you have any predictions? Do you have any feelings on Kamala versus the other options? Do you have any kind of opinions or views that you wish to talk on? What I could say is this. Voting is important. Anybody that, that, that wants to have the voice has the ability to vote and to go out there and do it. If you don't vote and you don't say anything by that vote, then you can't really complain about things that happen after that. Um, I think it's an important election. I think that we are at a crossroads as far as our country goes. You know, we're being pushed far to the right as far as the, the signs of authoritarianism and, and fascism and things of that nature. And then there's other people that say that we're being taken straight to the left and it's communism and socialism. I don't think that necessarily either one of those two things are going to happen. However, when you're looking at, at trends and economics and long term and short term and macro and micro, you have have to look at where things are going. And if you look at where things were four years ago and three years ago and two years ago and now, if the premise is that we were going to make America great again, first of all, I would say that I thought that America was great before. It's been the greatest country that I've always known since I've been here. I was born here. I love this country. And, and I bleed red, white, and blue, as well as orange and blue. And I'm not sure which first. You, you need know. to go to a doctor. But yeah, it's probably some sort of hematosis. <laughs> but that being said, so under the circumstances, I think that it's important that people go out and, and, and make sure that they vote because uh, there's a chance that, that, that there's going to be some some monkeying with the election as far as that goes. We've heard some things come up as far as the Postal Service maybe being shut down or slowed down purposefully. I don't think that anybody should try and win by cheating. Cheating's not something that should be condoned and, and honesty and truth should have value again. And, and I look forward to those values being restored in this amazing republic. Well, I think that's a great answer. I like that answer. Uh, two Two things that I... Uh, without getting into specifics, see, is that in some ways, as much of a fan of Barack Obama as I was, I think this presidency is a uh, response to that 
uh, eight years. And so there was a lot of people who feel like they were not heard for those eight years. There was a lot of people who feel like their values were not represented for those eight years. So if you uh, follow the proposal that every action has a equal and proportionate reaction, I think this is the uh, the swing in the opposite direction. And so in some ways, I feel like the only way that we can stop these drastic swings in both directions is to try and kind of restart in the middle. And, you know, I think if you take off the 33 or third percent that's Trump's base and then the extreme liberal viewpoints, you have this middle area that's probably uh needs to be looked at. And so, you know, with this moderate, you know, I, that was a, a big thing that I heard when Kamala was uh, selected is she's a cop and she's a blah, 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 blah. And it's like, okay, well, she wasn't a cop. She was a prosecutor. And, and yeah, she put a bunch of people in jail, but her job was to put a bunch of people in jail. And, um, you know, where she's at today, I agree with a lot. I think she's softening her position on marijuana. I think she's softening her position on these other things. Plus, as a father of a little girl, I love the prospect of a woman holding the highest office in the land. I think that with what's going on with Black Lives Matter and a lot of that other stuff, I think having people uh, in, in the highest offices of the land and showing children what is out there for them as the opportunity that they have is very, very important and can't be discounted. By no means am I saying anybody should hold an office because she's a woman. By no means am I saying anybody should hold an office because they're black. But I think both of those two things are definitely icing on the cake with all else being equal. And so um, I'm I'm excited about her being picked. Uh, Biden, not my first pick. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the uh, problems that we have with Trump can be said about Biden. Uh, but, you know, that being said, there's no question in my mind which way that I'm going with it. But um, so that's that's one thing that I'm, I'm looking forward to. The other thing is a return to uh, an agreement on objective reality. I think we've found ourselves in this twilight zone of. There is no ground. There is no firm ground that which you can stand upon. I mean, we're we're literally arguing about what day it is. We're literally arguing about all these things. And it's exhausting. It's like it used to be we could have a debate on politics because we could agree that these things are true. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold, you know, we can agree that these things are true. Now let's argue policy. But now it's like. Is this person a citizen or not? Or is this person a Russian agent or not? Or is this person a whatever or not? And it's like, I, we can't even get to policy debate because we can't even agree on this. And it's just, I, I don't know if you can get the genie back into the bottle on those things or if that's just the new reality of discussing politics. But I'm hoping that we can kind of return to form in those ways. So. I don't know if you have any comments or opinions. I on got any a that. few things on that. So first of all, so the, the war on truth and the war on fact is probably the, the worst war we've ever had to be a part of as right. far as that goes. Because again, the country was founded on holding certain truths self-evident. We can't even hold facts as self-evident. Yeah. We can't even hold numbers as self-evident because if you present anything, it's immediately discounted by the other side because they're trying to make a point. Right. It's like objective truth, objective fact in, in reality has got to be there. Why is it 
that when we got a reality show president, reality changed. It was not, it's right. like if Salvador Dali was here today, he wouldn't have anything to do yeah. because the world's so surreal. He would be bored of painting yeah, it. Yeah, he would yeah. be like an impressionist or something like sure. that and doing Monet type stuff. Right. You know, it's just, but you have a guy that's, that's, that's argued to have made perhaps 20,000 lies, which is a very large number. Uh-huh. And then there was a, a there was a meme war that took place yesterday, and the meme wars have begun, as Yoda figured that they might. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that uh, that the meme war was that uh, Kamala had lied about whether or not she had smoked marijuana in college. Right, and so I didn't even see this. It's like so it was on it was on my page, and there was okay. a big t- t- back and forth about. I it, hope but, she smokes it today. But but the whole point is like for her. First of all, who cares? And second yeah. of all, so they wanted to magnify. Well, she lied about that, so you're going to magnify and blow up one lie while discounting and giving a free pass 20,000 times on the other side. It makes no sense. It's completely dissonant as far as the logical reasoning not taking place. Well, I agree with you. Uh, before we wrap up, uh, you brought a guitar with you today. I did. Are you game or? I'm ready. Yeah. All right. Do you need to plug in or are you going to play it, play it unplugged? What's your story? I I would, I would just probably plug in. All right, go ahead. Let's get it. Let's get it going. I'll strum a little bit while you're okay. while you're doing it so I can bore people. I don't know if this guitar is tuned, but um, Jason's plugging in his... Did you play Wish You Were Here? No. Stones? Josh. Pressure, everybody's listening. Exactly. <laughs> we'll be with you one second. One second. This is a bathroom break, guys. side of this wall so we gotta turn it down yeah i was listening to it through the headphones last night all right much that's gonna be very loud you got something planned uh i just jammed some good too all right why don't you fix up with it man Your big, your big, your big premiere, big time. Okay, give me a second, folks. Almost there. So we're doing. You're doing a U two. I'm gonna do a U two. Which one? My favorite. Which is what? Red Hill Mining. <laughs> I'm not gonna put you on the spot. Do whichever one you want. I'm gonna do a song that I've recently gotten into. 
to, I, I love you too. I recently discovered the U2 station and I um, recently discovered this song. I've heard it before, but it's really, it's really become one of my favorites. It's called Kite. I don't know it. like the edge was in the room with me almost kind that of. was amazing thank you so much jason bangos you're an amazing human being thank you so much for stopping by today always a pleasure and uh hopefully you'll come back sometime and we can uh figure out new things to discuss and maybe work on a song together that sounds great thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure awesome thank you so much thank you.